0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance, and I am excited to share my special guest with you today. So my guest today is Michelle Ives. She's from Australia, and she's a longtime listener of the Clever Girls Know podcast, and she got in touch with me because Clever Girl Finance has been part of her financial education, and she wanted to share her story with all of us. So her and her husband, to date, have saved over $400,000. And they did this in only a couple of years on average salaries. Her husband is a government worker and she has worked in a couple of startups and does freelancing. Last year, they were able to buy a house in the Sydney property market and paid $200,000 as a down payment for it. And this year, they planned and paid for their wedding. They've both now made the decision that they would like to retire in 10 years and are working ferociously to do this by adopting a really frugal lifestyle and saving 70 to 80% of their salaries every single month. And so on this episode, Michelle shares why retiring early is a goal of hers how observing her husband was a turning point that caused her to take her finances seriously, and the specific things that they did to save that $400,000 and much more. But before we dive in, if you haven't already stopped by Clever Girl to check out our courses, you need to do that. We are launching new courses every single month. We have an incredibly epic, awesome community of women who are cheering each other on and achieving their financial goals. And so if you're in that space where you want to work on improving your finances and you want to be surrounded by people who can support you on the journey, stop by Cleverwell Finance. Also, if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do tell your friends and head over to iTunes and rate and review this podcast if you love what you're listening to. You can subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and you can also watch videos and listen to episodes of this podcast on the Clever Girl Finance YouTube channel. So let's talk to Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hello, Bola. How are you? I'm doing great. Welcome to the Clever Girls No podcast. Thank you for having me. I cannot wait to share your amazing story with my audience. You have accomplished something major. To date, you and your husband have saved $400,000. Um, Australian dollars, but it's pretty close to US dollars. It's (laughs) a lot of money, no matter what currency. (laughs) And um, one of your goals is to retire early. We're going to talk about that. But before we get into your amazing story and your tips and tricks and all that good stuff, tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. So uh, my
1: name is Michelle Ives. I live in Sydney, Australia, so sunny down under, with my husband. Um, We got married last year. And our little rescue cat, I feel kind of compelled to mention her because she's a key part of the family. Uh, I am a copywriter and a brand strategist. I have my own business called Wordy & Smith, uh, which means I spend a lot of time on my keys and I pretty much write all day long. Uh, So, you know, wherever I am, you can guarantee there is a laptop and an open Google Doc not far away. Uh, I have worked as a journalist in publishing and in technology startups um, so I've moved around a fair bit but I've always been in comms
0: and PR and writing for the most part. Wow so how do you go from writing to save to saving $400,000? We're gonna get there. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: a very very interesting
0: um, trajectory
1: so I guess it really comes down to where my goals are, you know, in retirement and why I want to retire. Um, so I I grew up kind of voraciously reading um, what I would, I guess I would call them glitterati type books. So they were kind of soft rom-com stories of, you know, women who were, you know, young women entering the workforce for the first time and kind of climbing up the, career ladder and falling in love and just being kind of ultra glamorous and successful. And I, you know, and I wanted that for myself and I kind of always saw that for myself. So I always had a real drive to kind of work hard, but my, my actual experience in the workforce fell very, very short of that. So I started working very young. Um, I was a journalist at a daily local newspaper. In fact, I think I was even, I think it was an unpaid internship in the beginning. Um, And then I cut that kind of moved into more paid freelance writing gigs. So it wasn't very glamorous. Um, And then my next job, which was kind of my first off kind of official job, because they will discuss, there were lots of kind of things in between, but my first kind of office job was in events and it was, before I graduated junior and it lasted all of I think about two weeks before I actually walked out from anxiety Um, and things definitely looked up from there so I stayed in writing I had kind of a brief stint in publishing and I kind of fell down the rabbit hole into startup land until I started my business five years later but I remember I you know my thought process in every single one of those jobs was it was always this niggling feeling of like you know, this is just a stepping stone to something better. The next job will be really fulfilling. And so I always had that kind of aspirational view that where I was wasn't wasn't where I wanted to be, but where, you know, where I would be, would be right. Um, And that that actually never happened. Um, I've had some really great jobs. I've fallen into good roles. You know, I've been at the right place at the right time, but I've just always had that kind of niggling feeling of, you know, it'll be the next job. And then these feelings will finally go away. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: when I started my own business, which is kind of really the dream, you know, for a lot of people to be able to profitably run their own venture, I still had those feelings And I, and that was like the wake up call for me to be like, okay, so there's definitely something deeper here. It's actually not about the work, is it? And so what I realized through a little bit of soul searching, kind of the amalgamation of all of those years was that it's actually not the working that bugs me. It's not that, you know, I love to write. I'm a writer through and through. I've done it since I was really young. You know, I I just, I love it. Um, It's just, it's the notion that I need to work until I'm, you know, we call it preservation age here in Australia, but you know, it's the age that you can essentially retire. You can access what we call superannuation. It's kind of our, I guess it's the equivalent of the Roth IRA in the
0: mm-hmm.
1: 401k. So it's like a superannuation uh, retirement account. Um, but I need to work until I'm 70 in order to live comfortably in retirement. And I think that that really was what fueled that underlying feeling of uh, discontentment and, and in a way, anxiety around work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I see this a lot now because I'm more aware of what those feelings really are. Because we, you know, we tie so much of our worth to our revenue generating work. So for me, it's like writing, Um, and and of course with good reason because without it, our needs aren't covered. You know, and and in many cases, our basic physical needs aren't covered. But it's just that notion, like until we're seventy, you know. it's not to be morbid about it, but but people die when they're seventy. You know, like I when I was younger, people died when they were in their late sixties. People around me that I knew. So when I found FIRE a number of years ago, it was really just about the discovery of a financial goal that resonated with my belief system around choice. Because fundamentally, I think as human beings, we deserve choice. Um, And that's really what financial independence means to me. And so my discontentment around work was not actually around not wanting to work. I love to work. It was about having the choice to spend my time working on things that I really wanted to, whether or not they generated income that was irrelevant. So it was things like volunteering, you know, um, traveling, writing for pleasure, you know, I guess trying to have, not to sound too woo-woo about it, but trying to have, a you know, maybe a greater impact on the world than I could have through work that generated revenue kind of like my day-to-day job um, and I it's funny it's it's yeah I know a lot of people are embarrassed to admit that they don't want to be working their whole lives because there's this perception that it denotes you know laziness or lack of ambition but I you know on the contrary I to, to reach financial independence early is actually one of the most ambitious things you'll ever undertake
0: because it just requires so much dedication and tenacity so Michelle, one of the other things that you guys did was you guys bought a house in the Sydney property market in 2016 and yep. you also put down a $200,000 down payment. So, yes. um, was that part of the $400,000 you saved or a separate amount? And where are you guys at right now with your savings? Yeah.
1: So that was a part of it. Um, so crunching the numbers in my head. So we, yeah, we put down our deposit. We have put a pretty sizable chunk into, um, stocks. So we typically invest into, um, exchange traded funds. Um, we have saved to get to the number that we are now we've saved, I'd say almost another 150 for another property that we are planning to buy very soon. So this will be kind of like our family, um, our family, home that we're hoping which is more of like a mountain home um with a bit of land it's kind of always been a dream of ours to have a bit of a hobby farm reclusive writer stereotype and all that um yeah and then the rest is just kind of spread out across different um different accounts so that we have that kind of access to that cash flow if we need it
0: well that's again that's really amazing what you guys have accomplished and the question that everybody wants to know, you know, as you guys continue to save and as you invest and as you know, you purchase property, um, you guys are kind of in that space where you are kind of turning along, you know, what it is you need to do to save money to get to that retirement in 10 years. And I guess what everybody would like to know is what are the specific things that you did to save your first hundred and your first 200 and then, you know, as you've gotten to this current amount that you guys have, that you guys have, that you've been able to use to invest, you know, what are the things that you did to be able to save, like, what are certain things you cut back in your lifestyle? Were there, you know, adjustments you had to make? I'd love for you to share that.
1: Sure. Um, And yes, yes, yes to all of them. So I think uh, it's kind of the first thing is going back a little bit. So when I started, I think I took a lot of that initial inspiration from my husband who, when I actually met him, he's a little bit older than me had um, savings and property and he'd invested before and we never ever spoke about money in the early days but the the general rule of thumb was that he always seemed to have some and I never seemed to have any and that was just kind of how it went Um, and then I never made that connection as to why until I remember very vividly one night he was doing his online banking in bed and I remember looking over and I just and I saw this like staggering five-figure number on the screen of his phone (laughs) and I had actually been with him when he had set up that bank account a few months prior because he's from the UK so am I originally it's why the account the accent kind of switches like Jekyll and Hyde from Aussie to English but um but he was new to the country so he had had to do all of that stuff like setting up the accounts but I just remember like it blew my mind that he could just have so much in so little time because my understanding of money was you have it it's only a little bit, you, say, you spend it and you never have any. And then you might be doing paycheck to a few days before paycheck. But that was an indication of a good life. And that was my understanding of money. And I never had a credit card. So I thought I was really good with money at the time. Like I was, you know, I kind of held myself in very high regard in that way. Um, but I remember I, I picked his brain as to how he... Um, as, how, as to how we did it, because it was just so baffling to me. And he said it was a couple of things. So he said, it's one, you need to be really disciplined. You need to do it as soon as you get paid. So you make sure you have enough to cover... Uh, your living expenses, and of course have some fun, and then just don't spend it and so that 's how it started. It was me kind of naively thinking it would be that easy, um, but it very much did become a habit you know it was just just chuck it in as soon as you get paid, live on the rest, rinse and repeat rinse and repeat um, and because through a lot of that period, I was a student. My streams of income were very unpredictable. And a lot of time I was on minimum wage, but I just went hell for leather on diversifying them. And for me at the time, no job was too weird. You know, I found opportunities in all sorts of places. I did literally everything. Like I worked at a theme park operating rides. Like my my ride spill still haunts my nightmares. Um, I babysat and I pet sat. I was freelance writing. I did market research I would sell stuff around the house. I would do odd jobs like handing out flyers and um, uh, newspapers at brand activations. And I would just regularly find more work just through talking to people that I was working with. And I was working like every day and sometimes a couple of different gigs, I'd go from one to the other. And so when I joined the world of, um, working with what I actually studied for, um, I was on a, I was salaried and I was on a, you know, quite a good salary, not never amazing, but I've never, ever um, been on a salary that's super, super impressive. Um, and it's particularly because when you work in startups, they just don't have the funds for that. Their budgets are very lean. Um, But I I tended to keep a lot of that work going on to to varying degrees, especially the writing. Um, And I had a couple of regular clients that I would write for each week because I just saw no reason to stop it earning the income and it just kept getting siphoned away bit by bit. And if I ever was lucky enough to get a large injection of cash for any reason, whether it was a tax refund or uh, you know a, a gift or anything else, that went away too. And it, it re- that's, it's just a snowball. It starts with five, it turns into 10 and then it's 20 and then you're in the realms of 50 and then you're getting to 100 and you're starting the process again for your next 100. And it's just a joint effort of both of us you know, constantly adding and never withdrawing. And so with those funds, we invested a lot of it um, in property and shares, as I said, but we also made sure that we had access to varying pools of cash in a number of accounts, one of which was an emergency fund. And I, like, sing to the high heavens about how, you know, important these are and you do too. And so many financial gurus do, but, you know, funnily enough, I found the, the more money I had in emergency funding, the less, you know, quote, unquote, life little emergencies would actually pop up because it kind of felt like when I, when I was used to living paycheck to five days before paycheck, unplanned expenses would creep in all the time. Um, and I don't know why
0: that is. I, it might be like a bit of a universe energy thing, but just, it used to happen. That's really insightful. And there's a couple of things that I took away from what you said. Um, number one is, you know, the person that you're with, your husband, and in a sense, he's your accountability partner. And he's that person that totally. even though you guys didn't have money conversations prior, when you did start having them, when you were showing interest, like he was there to kind of motivate you and guide you as to how you can do things and how you can do things together. And I think that is so important. Um, and you know, for people who are listening that partner that person that keeps you accountable that person that you can talk honestly to about finances it doesn't have to be a spouse or you know a mm. boyfriend or whoever it can just be somebody in your space that's like-minded that's working on a you know achieving specific goals around financial wellness that you kind of lean on to support and motivate you so you know your husband had his own goals where you were looking at his account and you saw the five figure number and he you know you you're now able to plan together with him and that's so important because imagine if um, he just didn't care and then you would have looked in the account exactly. and maybe seen a negative amount and like, oh yeah, whatever. I've just not my that money and you'd have kept the whole thing. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's really important to have that person. And sometimes, and the other thing I wanted to add is that sometimes you, like you, um, Michelle, you may not even know that you need to change until you see something that sparks the change. So yeah. you seeing that five figure amount in his bank account, right? And that comes from, having those right people around you so that you can find yourself in those positions to see that five figure bank account, right? You can find yourself in those positions where you can actually start to have that conversation about money because those people actually care about it. So even if you don't know all the answers, I think it's important for everybody to surround themselves with the right people or people who are aspiring to do big things or better things so that as you hang out with them more, as you talk with them more, as you listen to them more, watch them more, if they are people online, etc., um, you may start to get enlightened by things that they're doing or saying that will cause sparks in your mind. For like, sure. oh, yeah. I want to do that business. I want to save this money. Oh, I can do this this way. And it's that. So that's one thing I kind of learned when you we were talking. Um, so did you guys have to do any things like, you know, around Because one of the the challenges, a lot of people who are listening to this that are trying to turn their finances around or specifically around things to do with well, maybe I don't make enough money or, you know, I struggle to budget or. um, So did you guys do specific things around budgeting, around. Um, I know you you talked about automating, putting the money away right away. Um, did you have to get second jobs? Was that like what specific like you know were there any things out of the ordinary that you weren't doing before you started saving? That once you got onto that path, you kind of were doing more of. Yeah.
1: I mean, I had a million jobs and side hustles. So (laughs) yes. Um, but yeah, so I think actually funnily, one of the the biggest things I did was, um, this came a little bit later, but it was through reading, I think it was Mrs. Frugalwood of the Frugalwoods. And she has a thing that she recommends everybody do. This kind of ties into, I'm a bit of a minimalist and that was something I found as well. Um, but she has something that she recommends that everyone do, which is um, to write a list of all of the things that really, truly bring you joy and you have to be very very honest with yourself and think very very deeply about it um, and you don't have to show anybody necessarily but it's super important to get that clarity um, and there's absolutely no shame in what those things are like you don't have to show anybody they're totally private um, and they cut there could be expensive hobbies that's okay you get to decide the purpose is just to simplify it down so that you can align your spending with your level of happiness and so I did mine um, I was a bit more kind of into it than my husband um, was, but he I, he he's very clear on what brings him happiness. Anyway, he's quite a simple guy, um, and that's kind of why I love him so much. Um, but when I did mine, I read the list, and when I was finished, I could see that the things that truly. Brought me joy, or very simple, and they were actually very cheap, if not free. So they were things like hiking in the bush, or um, the bush is like I guess uh, forest would be the equivalent. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of like the what? in the woods. <laughs> uh, the woods, the woods, the um, woods. It was hanging out with my husband. It was like reading a book with my cat sprawled on me, like I'm her personal throne. You know, it was going around my mum and dad's for a roast dinner on a Sunday, or um, seeing a, a new place for a first time or, you know, sitting in the sun listening to podcasts, the things that didn't really cost very much. And so I realized that a lot of the things I was actually spending my money on or it was very used to spending my money on were not aligned with what actually brought me joy. I was buying those things because I felt like I deserved them and it made me normal and things like shopping sprees regularly. And then when we traveled, it was like just the default was that we'd stay in a five-star hotel or it was going out with friends and just spending loads and loads of money on alcohol and food and eating out regularly. And and my perception back then was that those things were my right as a human being. Without them, I'd just be completely sad and a shell of myself. Um, and I, that's where a lot of my disposable income had been going. But did I actually remember the nice hotel we stayed at? Not really. No. <laughs> but did I remember the lovely sunrise at the top of the hike? Yeah, crystal clear. So that that, you know, aligning what I actually, my money, where my money goes, not only allowed me to simplify and therefore save money, but actually brought me a lot of joy. So it really was just a two birds, one stone thing because I actually felt much more, I guess, abundant and fulfilled.
0: And, you know, I talk about this all the time in terms of determining your core values. You have to know what really matters to you because if you're not aligned in that way, like you said, finding the things that make you happy, you're not, you know, it's just hard to align your spending and align your financial goals to Mm. that dream life. And what will happen is that if you're not aligned in that, on that path, if you don't know what your values are, if you don't really know, if you don't know what your why is, you'll find that your money just finds a way to slip through your fingers. Yeah, totally where it's going because you you never set the intention as you were spending it to direct it towards the things that really matter to you. You know, and like you said, you don't have to share that with anybody. It can be to spend all your money buying handbags, it can be to spend all your money traveling the world, it could be whatever is that that thing is that's going to make you really, really happy. The whatever, whatever the reason is that that's going to compel you to want to succeed in your life. That's fine. Like you're not comparing yourself to anybody. Mm-hmm. You don't have to live up to anybody's standards. You just have to be truly happy and content with what it is that you want for yourself. You know, I don't even know if content is the right word, but like, you just have to be like firm in the decision. That's the right word. You have to be yeah. firm in the decision that- yeah. What it is—the thing that you want to do—is the thing that's ultimately going to make you happy, and go after it. So that's really great advice, and I'm glad you guys recognize that because that's how you got to this place where you saved now over five hundred thousand dollars, right, and purchased yeah. and ready to purchase another investment property. That's amazing. Yeah,
1: and we feel happier. Like we're just generally, I think, just happier, happier human beings.
0: So we've kind of talked about how you kept yourself motivated, doing things that were free, and things like that. But how did you manage the days where you just wanted to go out and spend money? Because everybody has those days. I have those days. I'm like, you know what? These cities yeah. I'm go to hell. I'm about to go out and <laughs> <pull> some money. <laughs> Blow it all, dollar, dollar bills. Yeah. Um, how did you manage those days? <laughs>
1: Uh look I think look with, as with anybody I I had and I still have days where I fall into bed and I just physically can't string a sentence together because I'm so exhausted um as does my husband and like you know bad traffic day or it was just a tough day with colleagues or clients and I think that's for when you know that's when for a lot of us those feelings are those feelings of you know how am I going to do this for the next 30 to 40 years even 20 years are just so you know, pronounce. And so that's when what we're doing feels so meaningful. And, you know, I I almost use that now as recycled energy. So if I'm about to make a big purchase, I find it very motivating to ask myself whether it's worth pushing back my goal a month or even a year, if it's a really big purchase for, and sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. Um, And then I think also transitioning to a minimalist lifestyle has really helped with this because, one of my what streams of income as I mentioned earlier was just selling a whole bunch of stuff and I realized like how cathartic it was to just walk into a room and 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 just not be overwhelmed with the amount of stuff and clutter that you have um so that really helps and then I think when for us now you know we talked about the importance of you know finding someone that you can share a journey or a goal like this with finance for us is a re- it's a common interest now and we really bond over it so we love talking about what we have to save each month we love researching shares together we actually always buy them together so we can high five at the end once we've made the purchase which is like we just do it it's just like a tradition um, and we're very we're, we're very much both involved in financial discussions and decisions with plan and brokers um, so I think just being aligned and being together and 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 being really simple has has it just helps us it just keeps us on track and then we don't feel like we need to go out and spend loads of money and if we do some which sometimes we do we you know like to travel we're about to go on honeymoon we we just we realize that it's it might be a one-off mm-hmm. and that's okay like you're a human you need to have nice experiences and you need to have nice things sometimes
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And by the way, she, Michelle
0: just got married.
1: So congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and the oh, that was thing, another thing we had to, The some of the money went to the wedding. so right. Yeah.
0: You talked about your husband, you know, having five figures in, mm-hmm. in his bank account and, you know, for anyone listening, um, don't make the assumption that Michelle's husband has been the one who saved the 500,000 and mm-hmm. she's kind of living the high life. She's yeah. confident to the extent that you save seventy eight seventy 70 to 80 percent of your income which is yeah, yeah we did we do we do still yeah um and so you're contributing to this um empire jointly with your husbands so i just want to put that out there so that you know kind of clear the air <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's crazy that
1: you have to do that but yeah it, it's true it's you know it's really funny we um one of the we kind of one of the things you mentioned earlier was the importance of kind of being um having the same goals and you know when it comes to saving saving money together you have to be you have to be going in a similar path because if you're saving but they're for different things and you're not you're not kind of reach you're not trying to reach the same kind of combined goal. it can almost be just as bad as someone who just doesn't really contribute anything mm-hmm. um I remember. Like we both have good habits around saving, but I remember the whole like bringing my husband onto the whole fire thing. That actually was quite a that took quite a long time. Um, I had multiple touch points with the concept of fire. I'd read about lots of bloggers, um, and then when I really kind of got into it, I was so excited, and I wanted my husband to share that excitement. And he didn't in the beginning because he just didn't he couldn't see that it was realistic. And he didn't understand how anybody could do it because to him, it was just like, no, you just, you save and it's great to be great with money, but you save and then you retire and that's, and you retire at the normal age and that's it. And it wasn't until I, I remember pulling out like a, I played around with a couple of fire calculators. And I remember him coming home one day and putting these calculators in front of him because he's an engineer by trade and certainly by personality. And I was like, I know how I'm going to get this guy. I know how I'm going to get him around to this. And I just had put all the numbers in the spreadsheet and I showed it to him. And he was like, oh my God. And it was all of a sudden like a light went on for him as well. Like a light switched on and he was like, oh, this is totally possible because I was speaking his language all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. um and that is how a lot you know for us to have say to get to the stage where we can save 70 to 80 percent of our income for him to be on because he previously wasn't doing that it actually was just me for him to get onto that journey too it took me to go through that exercise and really show him what was possible and actually have him play around with the numbers like an engineer loves to do um for him to get super on board and then it's it really was just like it was like a you know, spontaneous combustion. It was just amazing because both of us were totally like hurtling towards this goal.
0: That's so important. Like being on the same page, especially in a relationship, because like you said, sometimes we people can have two different, we can have two different goals and we're both yep. going in different directions. And mm. I love the fact that you did the whole engineering spreadsheet. <laughs> with me, I have like a notebook <laughs> that I bring out, um, like every couple of months and I go sit with my husband. It's like, I always tell people don't force the meeting, but it's almost like this forced meeting. Hey, it's money time. And you know, I have all these things, all our plans documented. And I'm basically like, you know, let's talk about our goals. Let's talk about, it's like, I, I cause I kind of, I'm like the financial brain in the house. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> of course. For sure. And so I'm constantly reminding him of our goals and making sure that we're on the same page and reminding him, this is how much money you're putting into this account. This, you know, it's like, but you kind of have to make sure that you're not just doing it as a one time thing, that you're going over it frequently so that you guys continue to stay on the same page and that fancy yeah. tonic or that new trip or that new mm. business idea or that new car does not take either one of you off path again yeah. and then start taking you guys in different directions. For sure. Yeah. So as you guys work towards your retirement in the next 10 years, your goal is to retire not just with a million dollars, but with a multi-million dollar retirement portfolio. So, what are some specific steps that you guys are going to be taking in the future to ensure that you get there? So, you talked about getting another investment property to add to your, you know, one of your assets. When you guys, when you think about the plans you guys have made, do you mind sharing what are some other things that you're planning to do to, or continue to do to get you closer to your, your multi-million dollar retirement goal? Oh, sounds like such a big, exciting number.
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like, oh my God. Um, yeah, so we definitely are. So uh, we look, we're some of the most diligently consistent people you'll ever meet. Um I am like I love it. <laughs> super, super organized and he's just an engineer. So it's like really the perfect combination as it as it pertains to kind of finances. Um, you know, life happens. Sometimes we don't always put the same amount into our savings and investments. That is okay, but we always put in something. Yes. I've had months where it's as little as like a hundred dollars, but at least it's growing. You know, just because I can't put in as much as I'd like doesn't mean I shouldn't put in anything. Um and the devil is in the detail too. So I've cut out a lot of those sneaky daily expenses that add up. And I know that that's just such generic just kind of bog standard advice, but like coffees out, lunches on the go, regular Ubers and taxis, always passing by Sephora and always buying a lipstick. I literally, all, I never, I have the same lipstick in about 25 different colours. Because I would, <laughs> every time I would pass by Sephora, I would always buy a lipstick. Um, and then things like sale items that I don't need, but I want just because they're dis- discounted, you know. I think that doing that probably saves me a good, genuinely a good few hundred a month um and we're also smarter with investing now too so we make sure our money is optimally working for us that takes a lot of um a lot of research it's okay for that to take a long period of time for us this has been a journey that has been almost a decade long to have I guess the financial literacy that we have now mm-hmm. um, back a decade ago would not have it uh, would have had no I thought I would have been talking gibberish and I wouldn't have known what I was talking about. Um, But yeah, we read very, very widely. We read a lot of blogs. We listen to a lot of podcasts and we make that a really big priority in our life. Um, We, you know, we invest into index funds. we, We research the funds that we're going to invest into and we have a spreadsheet that we both kind of check in on weekly about how the market's performing. You know we make smart decisions around property, so our plan long term is to have more um, and a few more in areas that are really up and coming so that's going to be a big research piece for us um, and then superannuation, which is a really tax effective investment vehicle here in Australia um, we you know we utilize the benefits of our mortgage offset accounts so we use our, you know we use our credit card intelligently for points um, I think we calculated that we earned enough last year and this year that we can essentially grocery shop for free like a a good couple of months out of the year um or you know or take a few trips for free Mm -hmm. um and then i think we also just have a very aspirational view of money so we look at money not as you know what it is now but actually what it could be so a dollar is might not seem like much but when you times it by what it could be with you know in compounding interest and over time it makes it seem like a much more you know Mm -hmm. attractive number and then if you think of a dollar isn't much but if you think of ten dollars ten thousand dollars a hundred thousand dollars one million dollars you know it starts to it it starts to look like a really meaningful number that can allow you a lifestyle that otherwise you wouldn't be able to have
0: absolutely and you said something about a mortgage offset account what is that
1: uh, so it's essentially where you, you just accumulate your savings and it offsets the interest on your mortgage. Um, and so there are a few options. I think every bank is different. Um, so you can have, so here in Australia we have um, most mortgages are made up of a fixed and variable, they um, have a split, and obviously the um, interest rates and those are a little bit different, but you can set it up so that you offset only a, p- a part of that split mortgage or the whole thing. So it really depends on the kind of mortgage you take out.
0: So, Michelle, what advice would you give to anyone who's listening to this that's looking for some encouragement? Maybe they're not doing so great with their money right now. Maybe, yep. you know, they want to pursue FIRE, retiring early, you know, financial independence and retiring retiring early. Maybe they just want to be able to get to a point where they're aligning their values with the things that matter to them. Like, when you think back on your, you know, your past self before you got to the space, space where you guys have saved this money and you now have a clear path of, how you want to get to your, you know, ultimate Mm. financial goals. What would you tell that younger you or someone who's like that younger you who's listening?
1: Well, there's a couple of things that I think really have on my journey so far. And I really think I'm in the early stages of what is actually quite a big journey. Um, There's two things that really stick out. One of them is, you know, start little and, but start now, like today, if not yesterday, everything counts you know we talked earlier about aligning your your spending with the things that bring you joy so do so go through that exercise because it doesn't take that long it's free it's very, very valuable from a financial perspective, but also from a personal happiness perspective. Align your spending money with the things that bring you joy and screw everything else because you're going to find that not only your spending decreases, but your level of fulfilment actually increases. And it is a, an amazing exercise to go through because it really is two birds, one stone. Um, and that really was is what will kind of supercharge you through those periods where you're feeling like you want to go out and splurge, especially if that's a habitual thing for you. Um, the second thing is, you know, use tools to understand how compound interest works and the power of it over time. So, for us, it's all—it's gra- great to save money. It's great to be setting those habits and doing that consistently. But it, you know, when we really sat down and crunched those numbers and really started to understand the beauty of compound interest, I think Albert Einstein calls it like the seventh wonder of the world or the eighth wonder of the world or something like that. <laughs> the eighth wonder um, of the world. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it literally blows your mind. It is amazing, and if you're not doing it, you are at a severe disadvantage. So even just starting to, you know start to understand what your money can do for you. Even if it's just on on a screen, on paper, it's nothing that's actually physically happening yet. Just, just putting those, kind of planting those seeds, super, super powerful.
0: That's awesome. And I love what you said. Start small, start little, but start now. Yeah. Um, I think so many people make the mistake of telling themselves i'm gonna wait until i get a better job i'm gonna wait until i can save more than 25 dollars a month i'm gonna wait until that waiting until is such a huge mistake mm. because like you said you don't always save the same amount every month sometimes you can only save 100 dollars, but depending on what expenses that you have like for instance you guys just had a wedding that you had to pay for um, but it's you know as you're going through the motions of building wealth it's not about the amount. It's about the consistency and they have it honestly. And, you know, it rings so true because I, I call myself a saver. Um, I, you know, I'm like, I call myself a natural saver and it didn't come like automatically. I didn't just wake up and say, Oh, I'm a saver. I had to practice that habit of saving continuously, no matter how much I had. And I even did a podcast episode. And what's funny is that today I got a check in the mail. Actually yesterday I got a check in the mail. It was a refund check for something and it was in the amount of 26 cents. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I deposited it into my bank account. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> right. Because money is money is money. And yeah, I know a it lot is. Of people would say 26 cents and, you know, like roll it up and throw it in the trash. But it's about that habit and that consistency. So I love what you said. Start small, but start now. That's
1: you know, and exactly. And your, your 26 cents turns into, if you look at it with that aspirational exact. kind of, exactly, that it I turns into $50,000.
0: A, <laughs> a million
1: dollars. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um so what is your clever girl superpower oh
1: it's a good one uh so I think I'm very opportunistic in fact I'm the most opportunistic person you'll ever meet so I run I find opportunities wherever they arise um and I'm pretty fearless in saying yes to things before I've even really considered them and even if I know they're going to make me like wildly uncomfortable um (laughs) it's just kind of a bit of a skill. Um, and I know that that goes against some kind of the grain advice of always thinking things through. I think there's a lot of, um, importance in doing that too, but it's just something that I've always done. I'm a yes girl and it's always worked for me. So I've managed to get into some really great roles at some really great companies, very, very young because I've just been a yes girl. I've been at the right place at the right time. Someone has offered me an opportunity and I have said yes to it. Um, and I think it's it's just been amazing. You know, like every minute out of your comfort zone is just all defining. Um, it makes you a better person, it makes you a better thinker, it makes you able to, it makes you more adaptable, makes you more, you know, tenacious. Um, it's just it's awesome. So I am an I am an opportunist for sure, with a capital O.
0: <laughs> I love it. So Michelle, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for sharing your incredible story and congrats on all your success.
1: Thank and I'd you. love for you to
0: to share with, you know, the ladies who are listening, where they can find you, where they can keep up with you on social media, on your website. And I'll put that in the show notes as well.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, I have... uh just actually in the process, in the throes of starting a blog. Um, it is called That Girl on Fire. Um, the website is hopefully going to be up in the next kind of month or so. So stay tuned. that will just be a www.thatgirlonfire.com URL. Um, you can find me on Instagram at thatgirl_underscore_onfire, underscore on fire. Um, and then if you want to find me on my normal website, that's www.wordyandsmith.com.
0: I love that. Thank you so much, Michelle. Oh, thank you so much, Bola. Thanks for having me. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Michelle and are inspired by her story. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast and you love what you're listening to, you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and you can also listen to episodes and watch videos on the Clever Girl Finance YouTube channel. Finally, be sure to stop by clevergirlfinance.com and check out our blog and also our awesome courses. We're turning on new courses every single month and we have an amazing community and would love to have you join us. I'll talk to you guys on the next episode of the podcast. Thank you for listening.